Hey folks, welcome to this episode of the Application Security Podcast. On this episode, I, Chris, was at AppSecEU and I had a chance to sit down with Stephen DeVries from Continuum Security. In this interview, we talk about how Stephen got into security. We talk about the intersection of requirements and threat modeling as Stephen sees it and how he's brought it out into the products that his company produces. And we also get into a little bit of startups and cybersecurity, application security-focused startups, and some of the other details there. So we hope you enjoy. The Application Security Podcast. Here we go. All right, this is Chris, and I'm joining you from AppSec EU in the what appears to be the vendor area, which is why we're getting a little bit of a, some background noise, but it, we'll call it some good ambiance here. Um, I'm joined today by uh, Stephen from Iris Risk, and uh, Stephen, we always ask our guests the first question: What is your security origin story? How did you get into the world of security? Awesome, Bob. Uh, thanks, Chris. Um, so my origin story really started um, when I moved into from programming, fixing Y2K bugs in uh, in banks, to installing firewalls. So I came very much from a development background. Then started getting in- interested into infrastructure, um, you know, Unix boxes, firewalls, adminning systems, and so on. And so when AppSec started actually becoming a thing was when I realized, you know, this is my place in the world. This is where I can use my development experience as well as my interest in security um, to help help people and help companies build uh, build secure software. Okay, so what uh, what languages were you... So I guess, don't even... Don't even tell me COBOL. <laughs> Not that far back. Okay. How old do you All think right. I am? Right. Well, you said Y2K, so... <laughs> yeah. So I started off in uh, C, C++, um, and did some Delphi as well, uh, Pascal and Delphi. Oh, and yeah. then, How old are and you Java. then? Del- yeah. 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 yeah, Visual Pascal. I That's mean, right. yeah. a lot of people are going to have to look on Wikipedia <laughs> to see what that actually is. That's right. Um, and actually, so, you know, one of the turning points I thought would be interesting for, for the listeners is um, when I was doing lots of pen testing work and application security work, um, I had this interview with a, with, a, with a customer where they did this crazy thing where they knew we were going to do a pen test on a new app they were going to build six, six months down the line. So they said, well, let's get the security testers in, let's get the development company we've outsourced in, and let's all sit around and discuss what is going to be tested in six months' time. And that for me was like a you know, lightning bulb moment because I went through the list of all of the things we were going to test and I would tell the, 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 the implementation team, right, so we're going to test that your user account is locked out after three incorrect attempts. And the developer team would say, well, we're not going to build that. And the customer will say, well, why aren't you going to build that? And they would say, well, because you didn't tell us to build that, right? <laughs> so it became, as we we're going through these questions, it became really obvious that the problem here is not uh, so much widgets and fancy new security gadgets that, that they needed. They just needed clear communication about what they needed to build uh, to build a secure application. Hmm. 
And uh, that was kind of the moment for me when I thought, yeah, this is this is a, a problem space that needs a uh, a solution. I mean, we've we've obviously built a commercial solution, but there are there are other ways that you can tackle this this type of problem space to uh, help people build uh, and design applications securely from the start. So you kind of you kind of flip this whole thing upside down. You, you, you did what a lot of people are trying to do right now mm. in the whole shift left movement, let's move everything. And so you got an example of that from a full-on development project. A lot of times people talk about shift left and it's security people talking about how do we move things further. But that's a great example of where you had developers, testers, everybody kind of coming together. And so, yeah, yeah that's, that's definitely the way we need to go. Yeah, and I think it's, 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 it's kind of the, that was probably the first example of a real uh, DevSecOps or SecDevOps type of approach, which is, you know, get people talking together, get everybody in the same room so that they understand uh, what is it we need to do, who needs to do what, and are we going to be happy with the level of risk that we have at the end of this, uh, yeah. this exercise. Yeah, so how'd you get into starting your own company then to do this stuff? Um, yeah, so it was, um, you know, well, it's a, it's a long story. Um, I did some, uh, I was doing consultancy, so uh, lots of testing work and, uh, you know, general, how do I, how can I help companies build a securest DLC? Um, and out of that, I, I realized I wanted to build a product. You know, that was okay. kind of my dream. Um, and essentially the company was found was bootstrapped by doing consultancy part-time and uh, building the product the, the rest of the time and as we kind of gained traction and you know sold some uh, some licenses to some some really interesting customers uh, we then were able to say okay this is now our full-time business and then we uh, left the consultancy business and now we're 100% uh, doing product yeah that's that's a great uh, that's an inspiration for me because I'm in the same same kind of place yeah. and I think uh, you know, we're this is a security podcast, but we're we're jumping into the world of startups and things. But yeah. everybody thinks you have to go out and and you have to get some. I have to get somebody to give me a check for yeah. two hundred thousand dollars, or I can't have a company. Yeah, and it's. I think the the example you have is the same example I'm following in. Let's go out and we'll do consulting just to keep to feed our our feed our families and everything and pay the bills mm -hmm. and then build a product and develop that product without taking money from anybody else it yeah. I don't know about you but it gives me a lot of flexibility because I don't have anybody telling me what to do mm. right now as far as like you have to do this this is your new plan no it's just me I can make those decisions <laughs> yeah. so so we um, you know we, we bootstrap for about two years and then last year we uh, we, we did raise some uh, private equity from a, from a VC well from three VC funds okay um, and it has been it has been a change for us. So it has been a change from building a product to building a company. Yeah. Right. And they are they are different things. And it's uh, um, yeah maybe we're getting off track on the on the security subject. It's okay. Here, but, it's, a, uh, it's an interesting story. Yeah. So so it's um, it's been great for for many things because suddenly you have the ability to um, spend the resources that. You know, you previously didn't have. Yeah. So now we can, you know, invest in a great dev team. We can invest in a great uh, security analyst to build the content of the platform. Um, and you, we can come to OASP events and so on. You know, and so those those abilities are are great. Um, and at the same time, the the VC certainly have a lot to offer in terms of advice about. How do you run a business? How do you scale a business? Um, and for me, as a technology person, you know, that's not something I'm 
intimately familiar with. Mm -hmm. um, so that kind of advice is, is really useful. Yeah, yeah. So let's let's transition now and talk a little bit about the problem space that you're working in, um, because I think the the problem space of how do we do threat modeling in a more in just in a, in a better and more repeatable kind of approach and making it easier for developers, I think that's a problem that a lot of people in AppSec are dealing with right now. Everybody will agree threat modeling is important. It's, it's, it, it, you're not going to find anybody at this AppSec EU conference that's going to debate that topic. Well, maybe it's OWASP, so maybe one or two. But in general, everybody's going to agree that, yeah, threat modeling is important. Now, that's when there's a lot of different approaches and things. There are some people that say whiteboard only. There are some people that say tools. Um, so what is the problem space? How, how did you come at this problem? What, what was the problem you were trying to solve? So I came at, I came at this from, I think, from a reverse point of view. I said what, what developers actually need is a list of security requirements, which are functional, non-functional requirements, that they need to implement to build a secure application. So in my mind, if, if there were some magic box that you could consult and it would just automatically tell you these are the set of requirements you need to build into your application, for me, that box is fulfilling the same role as, as threat modeling. So I, I really view threat modeling as a means to an end, not as an, as an end in itself. Okay. Um, and right now there are a, you know, a few different ways that you can get at this box at a, at a, at a really kind of a, a low friction, um, low cost um, way. And one of them is the OWASP ASVS. So I think the ASVS project is an extremely valuable um, OWASP resource that can be used to get developers starting building secure code, right? So the, 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 the problem with ASVS is it's, it's a single standard with three levels that tells you this is how you build secure web apps and this is how you build secure mobile apps. Yeah. It obviously tries to cast as wide a net as possible to cover the majority of apps in the world. Um, which means a little bit of extra work for your developers to figure out what is relevant to me and what isn't relevant to me. But it's a great start because yep. it already gives you a list that you can start off with and you can start um, saying, well, okay, I know how we should implement single-factor authentication. I know how password research should be done. Um, oh, those things that are crazy to reinvent. Even though a lot of places, exactly. they go back and they, everybody's reinventing the same things versus using something like ASVS, which is a solid set of requirements that if you implement to those, you, you don't have to think about how to do, like you said, single factor or password management or all the things that ASVS really excels at documenting. Exactly. And there's, there's aspects to threat modeling, which I think the majority of people who are interested in threat modeling are, are smart people who like to solve difficult problems. So naturally they gravitate towards, um, uh, you know, let's, let's first look at this extremely complex business logic in our application and threat model that and come out with all the threats and the, and the count and how we're going to mitigate those threats. But there's a huge part of threat modeling which is boring, you know, it's, uh, it's templated stuff, it's, uh, it's cookie cutter uh, threats and countermeasures that apply to web apps, that apply to how you're going to deploy to the cloud, um, and that stuff really doesn't need to be threat modeled more than once. You do it once, you stick it in a template, or you take it from the OWASP ASVS, and that's that's content that you can reuse on every project that's using that that technology. Mm -hmm. um, so I think you know I've, I I enjoy that that part of the problem space, which is the scalability part. 
rather than uh, how can we hire a thousand smart people to model a thousand uh, different applications, why do we break it down and say, can we use a set of common templates, uh, decompose our application, find the commonalities, and let's just use a, a, a standard set of templates for all of that. And, and so is that, how you're, is that how you're approaching the problem then, is to take the requirements management side and the threat modeling side and bring those together? Exactly, okay. exactly. So I think there's a, um, what ASVS gives you in terms of security requirements, um, it's lacking as the step before that, which is the, the threat or the risk that that countermeasure is, is mitigating. So ASVS will tell you, do X, but it won't tell you what happens if you don't do X. Mm -hmm. um, and if you wanted to know that from a security uh, team perspective, you know, that's something that you can create as an extension to ASVS. So you could almost extend ASVS and say, we've got a map of a threat model for all web applications that tells us if we don't do these countermeasures, these are the threats we're going to be exposed to and uh, we can make an, an appropriate decision there about whether we actually do want to mitigate that threat or not. After the break, Stephen gets into ASVS and how that fits into Arius Risk. The Application Security Podcast operates with support from Security Journey. A security belt program provides the three pillars of successful AppSec training, learning, application, and experience. Visit us on the web at www.securityjourney.com to learn how you can teach and empower your developers using a new kind of security training. Let's hear from Steven now about how Arius Risk implements ASVS and how these two things co-mingle together. Definitely. So we've used ASVS as the base uh, for a lot of the countermeasures that we have uh, within the, 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 the product. Um, and we've also extended it. So ASVS is like a, a single line uh, description of what you need to do. Okay. Um, we need to give developers more advice than that. So we've, uh, we've extended ASVS by giving more details about how do you actually do this. Okay. Um, and our criteria is if this content is going to appear on somebody's issue tracker in their project, is it going to make sense to them? So to the develop, to the, you're talking to, to the, the developer developers. themselves, not the security people. No, exactly. It's to the, to the developers. Yeah. For the security team, they can view the, the threats, they can view you know, what are the countermeasures, have things been implemented, haven't they been implemented, have weaknesses been tested, haven't they been tested. So they have a dashboard to view all of that. Um, and ultimately, the developers can continue working in the issue tracking uh, systems. Okay. Which I think is a, 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 one of the key things to this DevSecOps, SecDevOps type of philosophy, right? You know, be, be low friction and make it easy for developers. So, where possible, work in their systems. Uh, don't try and force them into, in, into using security tools. And, and I think that's one of the challenges that have happened in the requirements management tool space because there's been tools in that area for uh, for quite some time and they've they're, they've always been about making uh, people operate inside of another system yeah. so it's never it's not in JIRA it's not in you know the, the places where the issue tracking systems and things um, so yeah so I think that's a big thing is, is to be where the developers are don't don't drag them into something new yeah. operate where they are is, is a wise approach and uh, the, the worst culprit here is email and Excel. You know, uh, 
security teams who have checklists in Excel that email them out. You know, send me back your checklist. Let me know what has been done and hasn't, and so on. It's uh, it's, it's it's just adding more friction to the process. Yep. And I've I've spoken to. Um, well, to uh, heads of uh, security in, in financial institutions, and you know, a common theme is we as security really need to adapt to the speed of development because it's no longer a question of how much security we're asking for. It's a question of if we don't give them an easy way to implement security in their dev processes, they're just going to skip us. They're going to do whatever they need to do to get that, that application live and if security is not something that's accessible and easy to use, then forget it. Yeah, that's, you know, I've, I've seen that that perspective as well. And I think for too many years, security groups have been on the opposite side of that, saying it's about us, it's about everybody, developers, you need to march to what we're telling you to do. And so that sounds like some of the people that you're working with now are, are very wise to be thinking, okay, let's flip this back around and say it's really about the developer. Let's meet them where they are and operate inside of their process versus trying to lump something on top of the way we want to see things done. Exactly. And and the I think the the, the easy thing to, or the, the easy way to approach this is that there are a lot of activities that are going on in development at the moment that are extremely similar to what we want to do in security. Right? Developers are already writing unit tests and integration tests for the, the functional aspects. You know, why aren't they writing security tests? Um, I had a great talk earlier with uh, Stuart Gunter from Equal Experts who came by the booth. And he was saying that he believes that developers are already doing threat modeling, even though they don't know it, because they're doing a threat modeling for performance. Right? They want to build a performance system. And they know that if they don't have high availability, if they don't have multiple availability zones, that something can go wrong and their system can go down. And, you know, that's a form of threat modeling. It's mm -hmm. just that they're not applying it to an intelligent attacker actually trying to break into your, into your system. That's a, yeah, that's a, great, uh, that's a great way to think about it as a bridge between the modern developer, who we always think of as not very security savvy to begin with. Um, I had a friend of mine who came up with this illustration, it's, his name is Tony Vargas, I can't steal it. If I steal it a few more times, it'll be mine type of thing. But he always, he always when we'd start a class on threat modeling, he'd, he'd always say, okay, everybody in the room here that knows how to threat model, raise your hand. Nobody's hand would go up in the beginning. And he'd say, okay, well, let me give you this example. You step out the front door with your, uh, with your child, and all of a sudden you hear the noise of cars going past really fast. And you hear a dog barking off in the distance. And the sun's beating down. What are you doing inside of your head? You're threat modeling. You hear the dog. You're like, there's a threat. There's a chance that dog could come after us. So you're keeping an eye. You're not going to let your kid run out in the street. So you're already... So every, the, And his point was, everybody threat models. It's just we have to tap into that same type of perspective that we have. And so I, I think that's in the same vein here, this, this idea of threat modeling for performance. Yeah. Now I guess the question is how do we tap into that? Yeah. How do we tap yeah. into the fact that, that <laughs> folks already know about that and get them yeah. to threat model for security using the same process in their brain about performance? That's right. So you know, they're, they're intimately familiar with, with performance and the, and the challenge is, is now educating them about the possible ways that an intelligent attacker can, um, 
elevate privilege in their system or gain access to data that, that they shouldn't have access to. Yeah. And I think you know there are a lot of interesting OWASP projects that can that can help with that. That are kind of good stepping stones. Um, one of them, which is really interesting, is the OWASP uh, cloud security project. Okay, that's a relatively new one too. Yeah, that's very new, um, and they're using uh, BDD style specs and tests to write threat models for cloud architectures. Hmm. Okay. So they're mixing in a few concepts there. Um, but by using BDD, it's a, it's a, it's a given-when-then type of uh, syntax. Which is behavior-driven development, right? That's right, yeah, so behavior-driven it's, it's development. Writing your it's, it's a test. Primarily, it's a language for writing test procedures and things. And so they're extending that now into the world of threat model. Exactly, okay. yeah. And they're kind of extending the, 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 the way you use the syntax to try and express a threat and also to express the, the set of countermeasures that you want to implement uh, to mitigate those threats. So it's a really interesting project. Um, and of course, the nice thing about it is that all of those specs are not just documents. They're actually executable. So you, you write the spec, you write some code behind it, and your spec is self-executing and self-verifying. Okay. Which is the great advantage of, of that. Um, and ASVS, the active, um, the, the proactive uh, controls, also a great resource to kind of get people thinking in the, in the from the perspective of an, of an attacker. Yep. And of course, the OWASP testing guide, um, which is great for QA testers um, and people who are experienced in testing for strange behavior and you know testing guys can just give them that that perspective of this is not just strange behavior this is behavior introduced by someone who's actively looking to break your application yeah yeah that's and that's a good list of projects uh, for people to take a look at for as they're thinking more about this problem problem space and everything so uh, Stephen thank you for taking the time today to introduce us to um, kind of some new ideas, new thoughts about threat modeling, and uh, we'll be sure to put some, some things in the show notes where people can find more information about you. So thank you very much. It's been a pleasure, Chris. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Application Security Podcast. If you enjoy the podcast, please do us a favor and visit the iTunes store and give us a five-star rating. Our intro music is 8-Bit Kung Fu by Bourne and TJ, and the outro is Southern Delight by Stefan Kartenberg. You can find us on Twitter at AppSecPodcast or on the web at www.appsecpodcast.org.